1: First cry to final breath
0: Praise the Lord, O oh, my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O oh, my soul. And forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all of your diseases who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse. He will not harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities for as high as the heavens are above the earth so great is his love for those who fear him as far as the east is from the west so far has he removed our transgressions from us as a father has compassion on his children so the lord has compassion on those who fear him for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over, and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. And his righteousness with their children's children, with all who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in the heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul, praise the Lord. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I just shared with you Psalm 103. It's a psalm of great encouragement to my heart. You'll see why after I share this message with you. I want to begin today with a short time of prayer. Lord, I acknowledge that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that you are God Almighty, that you, Jesus, are the Christ, the Son of the living God, I confess today that you are filled with mercy and compassion and gracious love. And I pray that you will redeem each one who listens to this broadcast, turning us from every iniquity and wicked way, giving us a very clear path to victory, to standing before you in your great throne room. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Many years ago, I heard a parable. I didn't understand the parable very much then. It's taken a few years to allow it to sink into my heart. I pray that it will sink into your heart. That you will take this parable and pray about it and think about it and allow the Spirit of God to instruct you. His name was Jaime. One day, when Jaime was just going about his normal day, he was suddenly rushed upon by several policemen. They put him in handcuffs, they took him before the judge, and they put him in prison. His prison cell was small. He was in isolation, simply a toilet and a sink and a bed, just a slab and a little covering he could put over himself. He protested to everyone that he was innocent, that he did not belong in jail. He demanded to be released. He said, I am as good as every other man in this country. I have done nothing wrong. I am innocent. Each day, the jailer would come to his, his closed gate. And there was a small opening through which On the floor, the police officer could slide a a food tray into him. And day after day, as the jailer came and delivered his food, he protested loudly. He yelled. He screamed. He said, I am innocent. I don't belong in jail. This went on month after month and finally year after year. Strongly protesting his innocence. Demanding that he be set free. Demanding that he see his attorney. But he was kept in the cell. His only human contact once a day when a food tray was passed under that iron gate. One day, as he lay on the slab, he looked up high and he could see the small window that allowed just a little light to, st- to stream into his prison cell. And as he looked, he suddenly saw the green leaves of a tree and the blue of a sky. And he could hear a bird singing in this springtime. And he was overwhelmed and he began to weep. He suddenly knew that Life was passing him by. That he was not accomplishing anything. He was in prison. And suddenly it dawned on him I am guilty. I am guilty. that realization swept over him for the first time that he was willing to admit to himself that he was guilty before God and before men. That evening, when the officer brought the food tray and slid it under the door through the slot. Instead of rushing to the door as he normally would and protest his innocence, cursing, yelling, crying out, instead of that he went to the gate and very quietly he said to the jailer, I am guilty. the jailer said, What? Jaime again said, I'm guilty. Without another word, the jailer walked away. As Jaime took his meal, and he sat on the slab with his tray. The door seemed to look a little differently. He saw there had been a change. He got up and walked over to the door and gently pressed on it, and the door swung open. He was astonished. He looked and there was a long hall and there was a door at the end of the hallway. He gingerly walked down that hall to that door that led to the outdoors. And he pushed on that door and it too swung wide open. And Jaime, for the first time in a number of years, walked out of jail into the evening sun and warmth and the green trees and the green grass. He walked out a free man. I heard that parable a number of years ago, many years ago. I know it's true. There is no freedom for you or for me from the prison cell in which we have been locked until we are willing to say and mean, I am guilty. As long as we protest our innocent, as long as we protest our right, as long as we demand how we be treated, we will be locked in prison. And there will be no deliverance. It is when we finally are willing to be like the parable of the publican and the Pharisee, where the publican could not even look up to heaven He beat his breast and said, I am a sinner. Have mercy upon me, O God. And he went home made righteous. While the Pharisee, praying, thank God I'm not like this publican or like these other men, went home under judgment. Why is it so hard to admit that we're guilty? All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all of us know, in part, the wickedness of our own hearts. But we protest we are innocent. A friend text me this morning and said something to the effect I'm doing everything I can to overcome my self nature my self life and I wrote back and I said no you won't be able to overcome your self life why would I say such a thing Because the self-life is who we are. It is who we are. We are by very nature selfish, angry, wicked people. We can dress it up on the outside, but still the essential nature of man is evil. I know the humanists want to argue that. But look at what's happening in the Ukraine. Look at what's happening in America. Evil hearts. Murder, rape, pillage. Oh, some of us will never do things like that. but it's in us to do it. We have spent a great deal of time and energy in America, in the American church, working very hard to subdue this self-nature, this self-life. And we have taught it to jump through some hoops. We've taught it. Don't do this and don't do that. And so you may have stopped smoking or you may have stopped committing fornication or, or you may still be doing it, but you know, it's wrong. You have learned to forgive. It's the finest humanistic thing you can do it releases you you may have learned to be patient until you're not we can train this self nature in all kinds of ways that look religious but it's still the self life I'm still in charge I still go where I want to go. I still do what I want to do. I'm not guilty. And then we can convince ourselves that we're not guilty because we're doing all of these wonderful things. We're going to church. We're paying our tithe. We're, we're doing, we're doing, we're doing. The self life is rich and varied full of energy until it's not. And we hit the crisis and we either die in our self-nature and we're going to hell or we finally meet this man, Jesus Christ, who calls us to be crucified with him. Now, if I look at chapter 6 of Romans, we're told very clearly what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to be crucified with Christ. We're going to have to leave our sin. And then chapter 7 tells us about self-help trying to accomplish and train the self-life to be who we want it to be, to look good, to be Christian. I looked at a, a message from a, a local church here in Northern Virginia. They have small home meetings. And I looked at the schedule that they outlined. Two minutes for prayer. Three minutes for this. 15 minutes for eating. And then this and this and this. Everything timed out perfectly. With a note that the leaders had been at the pastor's house the last several weeks practicing this Timed process. That's training the self-life. It has nothing to do with the Christian life. It has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Many church services are like this. I can remember one mega church that I was a part of, one of the leaders, and we thought it was really wise to do with a Thursday night rehearsal for the coming worship service and we had everything timed out the mics the spotlights the lighting arrangements the sound everything was scheduled very tightly and woe be unto any person who dared pray more than two minutes or any announcements more than three minutes we had to get people in and get them out in a certain amount of time or or people would not come they would say your service is too long of course it was all training in self-life it had nothing to do with jesus it sounded religious sounded christian Christian words were used, but it was all training the self-life. There was no Holy Spirit there. There was no weeping. There were no testimonies. There was, there was just a cold, cold church with a wonderful show to put on. Just right music, orchestra. I mean, it was a show. And it was empty. It was dead. It stunk of humanism. Chapter 7 tells us about the struggle with sin. The sin living on the inside of a man that makes him guilty. And then we come to chapter 8 we're told in the last part of chapter 7 that Paul considered himself a wretched man, a miserable man. And he cried out, Who will rescue me from this body of death? And the answer was, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now please hear me. If you have never involuntarily cried out, in a recognition of how wretched and miserable you are as a human person, then you have not been saved. I heard one internationally known Christian say, there's never been a time when I was not saved. I've been saved since I was a tiny baby. No, I don't believe he was. I don't believe he was ever saved because he never recognized the wretched condition of his own heart. He was a good self-life person who did incredible things for the gospel of Jesus. Great meetings where people shouted and said, yes, this is the best thing I've ever heard. But was devoid of the Holy Spirit. It was just a great show. No arrows of conviction piercing his heart. And I have to confess, I've been there. I titled this broadcast after a friend who texted me this morning, Ouch, I'm guilty. Ouch, I'm guilty. I am guilty. There's nothing good that lives in me that is except that which Jesus Christ has placed in me. The self-life has no value. It's utterly wicked. It's corrupt beyond measure. It is irredeemable. It must die. How do you overcome your self-life? Certainly not by trying hard. I've gone down that road and it's only resulted in a stronger self-life, a more disciplined self-life, where I have white-knuckled it through grave temptations that now no longer touch me. The self-life can be very disciplined. Very structured, very religious. But there's no salvation in it. It leads us to hell. Now, I read this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Self-life is controlled by the law of sin and death. You can move the sin around, but you can't get rid of it. It'll just pop up somewhere else in your life. And what set us free or what can set you free... is the law of the spirit of life. What is the law of the spirit of life? For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man, It's the first recognition that I am a wretched man. It is then necessary, it is then necessary to know that that sin, not me, the sin, is condemned by Jesus Christ. And now he calls me to live, not according to the self-life, but according to the Spirit, where I no longer am concerned for me. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. Life cannot please God. Now, I want to take you to verse 13. This is Romans 8, verse 13. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit... You put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. I want you to see and understand that there is only one way to deal with self life, and that is to put it to death. And how do we put it to death? We come before Jesus, and the first thing we must do is admit that we are guilty that we are wretched, that we are unclean. And you're not going to go there just once. You're going to go there more than once because you'll keep finding those places of uncleanness and self-life hidden out in your soul. And the Spirit will search every part of that out. And then... You don't white knuckle it, but you instead say, Lord Jesus, by your spirit, I ask that you put this to death in my life. I will no longer walk in it. I will no longer participate in it. I am finished with it. And then you never go back to it. You never go back to it. You decide now in cold blood. I met a friend yesterday. Carlos was his name. Carlos, I said to him, what is Jesus saying to you? He said, Jesus is saying to me that I should endure, that I should be faithful oh I said Jesus is saying to me stop lying his eyebrows came up I said yes Jesus is saying to me don't live in your self life let me put it to death He looked at me, what are you talking about, pastor? I said, Carlos, I've been a Christian all my life. But for most of that time, I have been in charge of my own life. And the Lord has said to me, will you receive only from my hand what I choose to give you? And I said, yes, Lord. But I've not been very good at keeping that covenant. I keep finding myself unconsciously reaching out for what I desire and what I think I need, as though God doesn't know what I need. And so I reach out for the food. I reach out for the friendships. Right now, God has me and has for quite a number of years in a very severe timeout. Well, I like to find ways to connect with people. The Lord is saying, Stop. Receive from my hand the friends I give you. Yes, Lord. It's been a real learning experience for me to begin to understand the depth of what it means to only receive from the hand of Jesus what he chooses to give to me. Because my self-life wants to come alive and reach out and take what I want. I said to Carlos, the Lord is saying to you that you should endure. Does that mean you're enduring in your sin? He looked at me. He wasn't sure he wanted to continue the conversation. He almost walked away. He started to walk away. And then he turned and came back to where I was sitting. And he said to me, Pastor, I'm not right with Jesus yet. I said, Carlos, you told me that a year ago. You've had a whole year to get right with Jesus, and yet you're still not right with him. You're still walking in the lust of your heart. So please, Carlos, tell me. You're enduring in your sin, and you're a lost man, and you're hellbound. How long are you going to give up your life to the devil instead of to Jesus? He was sober before, but now he became extremely sober. And he said, Pastor, pray for me. I said, okay, I will. And he walked quickly away before I had a chance to pray for him. I'm praying for Carlos. I'm asking the Lord to do whatever he thinks is necessary to get at the self-life of Carlos. I'm praying that for quite a number of people. I won't name them all, but you may be one of them. If you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Does the Holy Spirit testify with your spirit that you are a child of God? It says, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Well, what is the suffering? The suffering is the death of the self-life. And it must die. Every day it must die. Every day it wants to come forth and put us in bondage and go for what we want. But this passage over here that I read just. A minute ago. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Psalm 103. All my inmost being. Praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all of His benefits. Well, what are the benefits? When you Admit your guilt. And you begin to cry out and say, Lord, I am a wretched man. And I need you. He forgives all of your sins. He heals all of your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. And crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies the desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I've been praying that. I've been asking the Lord to renew my strength like the eagles. I've been asking the Lord to make me a completely honest man. Where I finally am willing to admit my guilt, to not pretend I'm something I'm not, but to humble my heart and recognize that in my self-life, with my skill set, I cannot bring about the glory of God. I cannot build his kingdom. I can build a religious kingdom. I've done that. I can build my kingdom. I'm a great entrepreneur. I know guerrilla marketing. I I know a great deal about business. Many times, businessmen come to me for counsel on how to structure their business. That's not what I'm talking about. I have to get honest enough to admit that I must, by the Spirit, put to death the self-life. And that's what I'm doing. And the Holy Spirit is teaching me how to abide in him. If you want to look at that more carefully, you'll look at the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Nothing good can happen in the spirit realm until you make a decision to admit your guilt, to lay your cynicism aside, to let your pride be washed away, and admit finally that you can do nothing good without the Holy Spirit coming And doing his work in you. And you abiding in Jesus. Remaining in Jesus. Receiving only from the hand of Jesus what he chooses to give you. I'm talking about very practical things even. I've talked before about my beautiful car. 19. No, 2010, Hyundai Sonata. They made a mistake in the paint job. And so I have a a big circle of rust on my roof and another on the side. And But it runs like a top. And I'm saying to the Lord, Lord, I'm happy to drive this car. Huh. <laughs> There was a time in my life where I would have been embarrassed to drive it. I drove only Mercedes. I don't drive Mercedes anymore. I wouldn't drive a Mercedes. You can, but I can't. I can't do what other men can do. What I'm trying to say to you today is we've got to give up our religion. We've got to give up all of our, our knowledge And we've got to humble our heart before God and admit we really don't know how to enter in to Jesus. Now, some of you think, oh, I know how I'm in Jesus right now. But you're filled with pride and arrogance. Your knowledge base is so large, but your spiritual feet are so small. You really don't trust Jesus with your life. You you trust Jesus, but you're working everything out the way you want it to go. And you're costing people around you a great deal because you've got your own deal going. You embitter your children. You embitter your husband or your wife. You lose friends. You're judgmental. You know, I finally have come to a place where I just, I know whatever good is going to happen it's going to have to happen by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that it's not going to happen by some skill set that I think I have. And you're not going to be able to schedule a, a worship service and have two minutes for this and five minutes for that and and 15 minutes for that and no, that's foolishness. That's human spirit stuff. That's, that's self stuff. It's not Christian. It builds our pride and it builds our sense of accomplishment. Whatever happened to coming before the Lord and tarrying? Whatever happened to being so hungry for Jesus that we can't stand it in our skin. No, we're hungry for the football game or we're hungry for some other form of entertainment or we're hungry for our TV show or whatever it is that we're watching and getting entertainment. We're hungry for making money and building up our, our nest eggs so we can retire and die. We we have missed in this modern age. I know of very few who are willing to tarry before God, who are really hungry for Jesus. Most people I know who are Christians, so-called, are just hungry for self-life Christianity. They shape it the way they want to shape it. They do it the way they want to do it. They want to read the book by this man and read the book by that man and they want to do this and they want to do that. Whatever happened to just being hungry for Jesus and coming before him and acknowledging that he died for us and that it's his death that condemned sin in us and that if we don't come and admit our guilt and humble our hearts, and let him put us to death by the spirit and by the blood. We we are lost. We are without hope. We'll be very religious as we fill the courts of hell. On that day, Jesus will say to me, in that condition, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you, but Jesus, I was very religious. Tie him hand and foot and throw him out. I don't want that. I want Jesus. Are you willing to get serious about Jesus? Oh, we're out of time for this broadcast. Tomorrow's Friday. It'll be a day of prayer. I've asked, should we continue the day of prayer? And a number of you have said, absolutely, we need it even though it's uncomfortable and you don't want to call and pray. Well, just a quick report. We're still quite a bit short of having the money for radio for this month. If if my being so honest and straight has not chased you away and you really want Jesus, then would you help me cover the cost of the radio with tithes and offerings? You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And if you'd like to give online, you're welcome to do that. I'm very much appreciating those of you who do that. You can give online by going to National Prayer Chapel and click the donate button. And a dear sister from Sarasota, Florida just sent $300. My dear sister, thank you. You have been so faithful to Jesus and to the work of his kingdom. Thank you. So go to our webpage and you'll find this broadcast later today posted. And I pray that God will meet you. Don't be like Jaime and spend the rest of your life in jail. Confess that, in fact, you are guilty. And let the Holy Spirit come and have His way in you. God bless you, my brother my sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.